The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. There'd be a lot of poop in my hands. <laughs> Seeing a six-foot alligator go swinging through the air and slam into a tree. These guys are the scientists of the supernatural, lecturers leaving lessons for inquiring laymen. They are applying the scientific method to a world that baffles science. They are the cryptids of the corn. But who else has big black wings and red eyes? Um, Batman. Oh, Mothman. Oh, yeah, Mothman. A great white shark was stolen. Oh, someone stole a shark? I got stuff for you you don't even know about. She's a witch. She turned me into a newt. Who knows? Anything could be possible. Anything could be possible. It's really big mm-hmm. abduction vibes. Holy moly. It sounds like you were abducted. And it just stood up. I mean, it just like kept going and going. And she goes, what the... Hey guys, welcome back to Cryptids of the Corn Podcast. I am the great and powerful mystery. And I am Jay Clone, and courtesy of Mark, which you'll hear more about on Wednesday. I am Jay Clone 816. Interesting, interesting. And together we're Cryptids of the Corn Podcast. We got an exciting episode for you. But I have to, uh, I guess, acknowledge something first. A couple comments over the couple last couple weeks were quite negative towards my credentials. Ooh, shots fired. And this is partially our fault because uh, we, we've got a ton, a ton of new listeners over the last couple months. And we just say, you know, I was a biologist without ever explaining it or going into detail. So we're going to take a second to do what I did for a living real fast. We'll do the, the, the spiel. The spiel. So I worked for a company called Midwest Biodiversity Institute. They were like an environmental firm. They did all kinds of surveys from endangered species to impingement uh, to habitat assessments. I am QHEI certified, which is a qualitative habitat assessment thing. I did have my level three fish forever for a minute, which is just an ID thing. Like you could, it's the highest you could get for IDing fish in the Midwest. Uh, and there's different like versions of the test depending on which like major biome you're in because it changes. Mm. You know how would I supposed to like? I don't know like the really hard to tell minnows of Arkansas very well. Like, I know the basic ones, sure, but I don't know, like, the ones that are really hard. The Midwest, I do, I do know. Um, like, I did do endangered species surveys uh, that was mostly in the Midwest and a little bit of Appalachia. I can't fully talk about those because I'm on some NDAs, but I did, you know, everything. I did a lot of eDNA work. Um, so I would say I was Midwest Biodiversity Institute. So my job titles, I started as a fisheries field technician, then I got all the way up to fisheries assistant crew leader and then fisheries crew leader. Uh, it's basically the same thing as a fisheries field or a fisheries field biologist or an aquatic field biologist. So that's why I say I was an, I was a field biologist. Uh, a biologist is just a term used for a job title. 
It's not a degree. Like a lot of the guys that were biologists above me had an education degree and that was it. It's an employment. It's an employment status. Yes. And there's been some confusion about that, I think, a little bit. So I just wanted to take a few moments and nip that in the butt. That that's I mean, that's what I did. I was an environmental field technician or a fisheries field technician and I ran a crew. Uh, and I was assistant crew leader for a long time, and I had a lot of fun with it. I did, I did eDNA, I did endangered species surveys. So there you go. So it's easier if you can't see, if you can't tell from that big spiel, it's easier just to say you're a field biologist, <laughs> right? You don't have to explain that every time. Yes. Which, if you're stuck around the, since if you're here from the beginning, you know all these things, right? So. If, yeah. This is more for a lot of new listeners are very confused, and a couple people were very aggressive towards it so for some unknown reason so if uh <laughs> just some people are like that i guess and that's weird is that we have a lot of biologist listeners yeah we have a lot of scientists that are listeners mm-hmm. and it was definitely not one of those that called me out because everybody in that field gets it right uh because it's hard to explain what you do for a living or what your job title is so it's easier just it like there was tons and tons of biologists have no formal background mm-hmm like as in education, mm-hmm. they would just get hired. Like I won't name the guy, but the guy that was ahead of me for a long time, he was a school teacher, and then he became on to us and became a like he was a biologist above us. Mm-hmm. I was not a lab biologist. I was not a like uh, the biologist that writes the petitions to get grants and stuff like that. I was a field biologist. Yeah, you're not a Ralph. You were out in the field. He, doing, Ralph, a clean biologist, doing the dirty work. All right. Shout Just, out to you, Ralph. Shout out to you, Ralph. We miss you. Miss you, baby girl. All right. Any questions for that? Oh, you know, I don't have any for that. I know, but anything you could see that Shoot, somebody that's I, new. I repeat all that stuff at all of our conferences when you're not there. I, know. You make, I have to do I have that spiel memorized. And Jay says I was, and so I was a former biologist. I'm not currently a biologist. What, what were you going to say I say? They, I, you started saying I was a biologist. Uh, I'm still a biologist and all this. Yeah, see, I just think the terms are all. It's all just moving the mics around too much it's, today. It's all just, uh, you know, it's just a words. Word. It's all wordplay at the end of the day. Ready for the topic? Yeah. What are we getting? What are the? What are we diving into today? Something you'll like a lot. I'm already interested. Meat showers. Ooh, meat showers. Ooh, why would I like that a lot? You know why. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't know what that's supposed to mean. But you know why? <laughs> but I guess I don't know what that's no, supposed to so mean. Raining meat, raining blood, raining bones. We've covered it on this show before. Yes, the we first have. one's going to be the Kentucky meat shower, which we've covered a couple times. Probably but the most famous one, I'd yeah, say. I got a couple others, but I have two different articles for the Kentucky meat shower. We're going to read and just kind of see how different they are. Okay. Just because I thought that was kind of interesting for this one. Did they come out same time period, or is uh, one like a reflection or? Sorry, I'm throwing you off your... Uh, yeah, I save questions for the end for a reason. Okay, professor. Y- no, one's from like 12 and one's from 19. Oh, wow. Okay, so these are recent articles then, huh? Sure. Okay. The internet's pretty new. Well, I didn't know if you were pulling up old newspaper articles. No, bad. which we did. The first time we did this, we read the yes. actual the actual newspaper article from... Yep. Okay. That may have been on Patreon. I don't remember. It's hard to remember I at this point remember. anymore. Yeah. Uh, but Raining Meat. Visiting the Kentucky Meat Shower, 1876. This is by Katie Cernan, uh, edited by John Korska. Korskai. Okay. Rough names. Right. Not important. So his title is, During the Kentucky Meat Shower from 1876, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs was a real-life event when meat reportedly 
poured out of the heavens. One of the specimens collected after the meat shower is still in captivity. Really? Yeah, we'll talk about it. Okay. You know who has it. Okay, we'll talk about it. We'll get to it. (laughs) It was a clear morning in March in Bath County, Kentucky, in 1876, when meat started falling out of the sky. So, before I start reading this, 1876, somebody, oh, I, I, in my brain, I never connected the dots when I was hearing somebody else talk about this on a different podcast. And they said that they thought that people, like, dump meat out of planes. Yeah. 1876. There's no planes. No. Maybe a big kite. No. They kites. The Wright brothers, when were they? I don't remember. 1901, wasn't it? I, I, you're right, actually, because it's on the back. It's on license plates. Yeah, it's 1901. It? Yeah. So it was not a plane. Yeah. I, just, I just... Big kite. But that comes up from time to time. Somebody said somebody's dropping meat out of planes. Hmm. It was not. Hmm. Uh, so between 11 and 12 o'clock, and I was in my yard, not more than 40 steps from my house, a local farmer's wife named Mrs. Couch told the local reporters... There was a light wind coming from the west, but the sky was clear and the sun was shining brightly. Without a prelude or any warning of any kind, this and any under or and exactly under any circumstances, the shower commenced. Not just any shower, but a shower of flesh, raw meat, some lumps as light as a snowflake, and some that reached more than three inches in length. For several minutes, Mrs. Couch and her husband, Alan, watched the unusual downpour fall all around them before it finally ceased, leaving the sky as clear and sunny as it had been before. Many of the couches believed that the meat shower had either been a miracle or a grim warning. Before long, word of the meat shower had sprung or spread, bringing flocks of curious neighbors to the scene, and in the end, the area of about 100 yards long and 50 yards wide was left covered in chunks of meat. They found in fences, farmhouses, and scattered across the ground. This article's a little wrong, but we'll get there. <laughs> Overall, consensus seemed that the meat was beef, as if it had a similar because it had a similar color and a similar smell. However, a local hunter disagreed, claiming it was uncommonly greasy feel. The meat was most likely resembled that of a bear. Oh, okay. Ah, uh, yeah. So the meat was very greasy. To end the debate once and for all, a few brave men, skilled in hunting, took it upon themselves to tr- taste a few pieces. Their official decision was that it, by taste alone, the meat was either venison or mutton. Okay. So it looks like beef, feels like bear, tastes like mutton. You know what it was? I just realized it. Oh, go on. I, I Now I understand what all this is, but go on. Unsatisfied by their three conflicting opinions, the local butcher also took a bite. According to him, however, the meat was none of the above, claiming that its taste was neither like flesh, fish, or fowl. It had its own unique flavor. I, I already. It's perfect with my theory now. Okay. Do you want to say it? Oh, okay. you're done? That's... No, I have more to read, but go ahead. Oh, isn't it obvious to you what this is? Hmm. It's turtle meat. Let me get to that. It's the next paragraph I have. <laughs> Finally, the town authorities decided it was time to get to the bottom of this. They called on an expert and declared it was the meat of the common snapping turtle. No, shut, shut <laughs> up. Yeah. It wasn't It wasn't snapping turtle meat because it's the wrong color. Okay, okay. But turtle meat. Turtle I think... meat's like, what, like, like chicken. It's... Uh, I've seen... It can be dark, but it's not like beef. Yes, it is. A hundred percent. you what, know how many turtles it would take? A lot. So, yeah. so and There's another not- theory. So, you know, the plane theory's out, right? Yeah. 
you know what was invented or the first launch of in September 19, 1783 was? Hmm. The history of hot... I'm going to give you a little paragraph here just real quick. History of hot air ballooning. On September 19, 1783... Uh, this was 76. No, it wasn't. This eight, eight, when was this come out? 76, 1876. This was 1783, I said. Oh, Your I dyslexia said, is getting yeah. to you. Um, Pilat, I can't say his name, De, De Rosier, a scientist, launched the first hot air balloon called the Aerostat Revelion. The passengers the included, stuff. wait, listen, the passengers included a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. And the balloon stayed in the air for a grand total of? Two minutes. Fifteen minutes before crashing back down. But it could have been a hot air balloon. They're dumping turtle parts all over everybody. That would be a lot of turtles. Okay. <laughs> so finally, town authorities decided to take time to get the official ruling on what exactly had fallen out of the sky. So they collected samples, wrapped them up, and sent them to a chemist in universities around the country. One chemist at the Louisville College deducted that the sample was indeed what one of the hunters suggested, mutton. While others disagreed, stating that while it was certainly was a meat, it definitely was not mutton. Eventually, scientists gave up on the what and were focusing on the where. If it was, in fact, meat, how did it fall from the sky? More importantly, how did it get up there in the first place? One of the scientists decided the meat was likely a result of a meteor shower or meat your shower. <laughs> okay, yeah, meteor shower. Meteor According to shower. the present theory from astronomers, the enormous belt of meteor stones, because it's revolving around the sun, and when the Earth comes into contact with this belt, it, it would be pelted, uh, wrote William Livington from Albany, New York Times. Simply, we may not suppose that it revolves around the sun belt of... Venison, meat, and other and other meats divided into small fragments, which were practically upon the earth, whether it littered crosses their path. Basically, they were saying there was meat up in space. And this is in, in the New York Times? In 18, 1876. This guy is a moron. In addition, he offered that it was more uh, macabre theory, saying the meat was actually the flesh of finely hashed citizens of Kentucky who had been caught in a whirlwind while engaged in a little uh, while in little difficulty with bowie knives and strewn them across the state. So, hold on. This, well, this theory is, Let me, it sucked up a bunch of people that were playing with bowie knives, shredded them into chunks, and threw them up somewhere else, and people were eating it. Yeah, because it had no hair, no clothes, no nothing, no skin, no bone. No, Just, it, had, it had little bones and skin and stuff like that. Oh, there, there's bone? I, well... There was hard bits. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, I don't remember there being like physical bone. Not involved. like big chunks of bone. Right. Yeah. There were hard bits, okay. either cartilage or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Some form of structure, of course. One scientist, Leopold, wrote an article at, uh, sorry, I'm just laughing. He claimed that it showed Norstock, a gene of cyanobacteria, which takes a jelly-like appearance when it comes in contact with rain. So you've seen this wow. in your yard, the green stuff that pops up at right after a rain, like green slime. Maybe, yeah. Uh, we have it all over our part of Ohio. Is Ours is green. It can be clear. It can be any color. Okay. Ours around here locally, our species is green, and it comes out of the rain. Like, literally, sponges. it looks like big sponges sometimes. Hmm. And people were simply thinking it fell from the sky when in reality it was already on the ground. Mm, and the rain activated it or something? Yeah. Okay. And it just puffed up. It, it swells up with the rain. 
Another one is the vulture theory that a whole bunch of vultures were flying over Kentucky full of meat and they threw it all up on this lady's property. And hmm. that's why it was all kinds of various stuff. It's the vultures have been eating different things. Well, I'll be honest, that makes way 100% more sense than the moron at New York Times. Say How do people a- read that ma- that newspaper and think they're they're being informed or intelligent? So here's the big thing with this article that's a little wrong is the size of the area. They only talk about the couch's property. Uh-huh. People over, it was three counties, had meat, like random showers of meat Yeah, that day. So it kind of omits that from the art, this yeah. article? Mm. Well, and I get it. It's more focusing on the one that they could track down people. Right. The names of people, location. Like her address is still known of the time and stuff like that. So I get that if you're going to focus on one. The other things are much more anecdotic. Right. All right. So the other article I have is, you know, still the Kentucky meat shower. It's an incident overcoming a period of several minutes between 11 a.m. and 12 p.m. on March 3rd, 1976. So it lasted about an hour? No, it only lasted... She wasn't... They didn't have clocks. Yeah. Like, they were farmers. They right. didn't have something on the... She knew it was between 11 and noon. Oh, gotcha. But it was only, like, 10 minutes or five or six minutes when it was actually falling. Okay, okay. So she was just, yeah. Like, Makes I, sense. I knew it was in this time frame. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. So they say, you know, 40 steps in the house... Uh, same thing, giant chunks of meat fall from the sky. A similar event happened later in Europe a couple weeks. I tried to look it up. Can't find it? I can find that mention of it, and that's about it. Oh, like a similar event in Europe? Yeah. And that's it? Yeah. So where's the event in Europe? Uh, mm-hmm. Let's not talk about it. Maybe you need like a VPN thing and search it in a different country, and I'll give you like a result. So... Uh, but yeah, basically the articles are very similar, um, except a couple of people did think it was human meat when horse meat. Hmm. I mean, I don't, I can't confirm or substantiate that at all because I don't know what human meat tastes like. Yeah, you don't really want to be that guy when everybody's trying the meat and you're like, ah, it's people. Oh, this tastes just like human meat. Oh, I was on the, the Dahmer party. And uh, yeah, everybody turns around and looks at you. What? So. In- <laughs> I mean, horse. Horse, I say. March 12th of the same year is when it fell in the UK. Okay. But it was little balls of meat that also appear to have vegetables with it. Ooh. Little chunks of vegetables. That's very different. Mm-hmm. So the people that got cut up in the knife storm. Um, also uh, had carrots. Yeah, they had carrots in there. Duh. Now, mystery solved. Here we go. A whirlwind picked up a bunch of people cutting up their vegetables, and it just... They had big meat cleaver knives, and they got sucked up in a whirlwind up into the upper atmosphere, and it just tornadoed the knives into their through their flesh and through the uh, carrots and celery and stuff they're cutting, uh, you know. And that's just, and then it fell back down. Simple, okay. Um, I think I'm qualified to write for the New York Times because that even makes way more sense than meat flying around in space and the planet coming in contact with it. Not to mention the fact that it could burn up in the atmosphere or cook, but no. Space meat. So another interesting thing is Dr. Alan Mullane Hamilton uh, appearing in the medical records and stating that the meat had been identified as all of these. as Well, he said as lung tissue from either a horse or a human infant. Oh, gosh. Wait, who said this? A doctor of the time that would examine the stuff. So this- let, me, let me read the rest of it. It said the structure of the organs in these two cases being almost identical. The composite of these samples was backed up by further analysis with two of the samples being identified as lung tissue 
three as muscle, and two as cartilage. Wow. All from a human infant? He said it was either a human infant or a horse. Oh. Because the lung, the inside of the lung structures are kind of similar. Wow, okay. Okay. I just thought maybe he was involved with, uh, you know, harvesting human. Oh, he was just a guy that was just like, they brought, like, they, they sent this stuff everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, oh, this is lung tissue, and it's either lung tissue from a human or a horse. Right. We have one. We have an example over here that we've been uh, cloning and putting into uh, medicine for years. 1876. Yeah, it goes a long way back. A lot of research. A lot of research. Uh, there's still a couple of these samples that still exist to this day. Okay, now where are these being housed? The Smithsonian. Stop. I'm not joking. You're serious? The two samples that are remaining are the Smithsonian. <sighs> so they're gone. You can go look at these. The problem is, is no DNA testing or structural testing can be done. Why? Because uh, they put it in alcohol. Oh, this is way before the time of formaldehyde. And formaldehyde, you can still do a little bit of DNA testing with sometimes. Wouldn't the alcohol eventually, over that much time, eat it into nothing? It is like a shriveled piece of something. Okay. It's like dehydrated it. It's probably not even the same piece anymore. I think it could be because it doesn't it mean could anything. Be. Right. It could be. But they you also... Can't, you can't open it. If you take it out of the jar, it would probably fall apart. Yeah. Uh, you can look at pictures of it. It looks like you slice a thin piece of steak off and let it sit outside in the sun for about 10 weeks. That's probably what they did. They're like, okay, well, we'll take this uh, into the back room and put it in uh, a shadow box, examining box for you all to put on display and hide this. Hide this in the back by the other crates. Put it by the giant bones. Stop hide, grabbing the microphone. Hide it, hide it right in between them. All right. That's how they talk because I work there. Yes, you do. The Kentucky meat shower incident. Any thoughts? You don't go into your final thoughts about it. Just, uh, I mean, it's it's still weird. It's it's obviously a mystery. Um, I mean, we've had our thoughts of what we think it m most likely actually is. Mm, don't talk about it. I'm not. I was gonna say it's list. I know it's, you're saving it for the end. We'll get there. We'll get there. But I but I also am pretty high on my uh, hot air balloon turtle theory. I do, I do think that. It's the hot air balloon turtle theory could be a thing. Hot air balloon turtle theory. Yes. Some man had a fleet of hot air balloons and he murdered. Oh, because he poached a bunch of turtles and they're like, you need, you can't have this meat. We're going to, he's going to get arrested. And he's this like, the time before poaching was a thing. And he's, he's like, screw it. Don't ruin my theory. He's like, screw this. And he's like, ha ha. And he makes a getaway in his hot air balloon at like two mile per hour. And they're like, dang it. We can't get him. Next. And then he just chops up all these and dumps the meat. He's like, if I can't eat it, no one can. He dumps it all. And then he didn't realize that, yeah, everyone can eat it. He just dropped it on. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right. Ready for the alien spores is our next little thing. Ooh, okay. So if you, there's a theme. All the stuff falling from the sky. Yes. I, it's raining meat, but raining weird stuff. Okay. Organic matter. Uh, so alien spores is a pretty famous one. NPR newsletters newsers have reported the endemic orange substance 
that descended over an Alaskan village a couple weeks, then this is a couple weeks when the article came out, has been identified as eggs of an unknown animal or thing. Mm. The mysterious orange goo that appeared on the shorelines of a small Alaskan fishing village of, now I try to pronounce this, I try to practice this, Covalins, or the Covalina Haas is the area, but Covalins is the island. Okay. Uh, that has been identified as millions of microscopic eggs filled with fatty droplets. Okay. So a lot of researchers have been looking into this, but so, but researchers have claimed that they still don't know what the eggs are and what they might hatch to and if they are toxic. Janet Mitchell, city council administrator of Kevlina, not like not kind of like that, like, not like the Kevlina line wine mixer or whatever, but Kevlina says this about the goo. It was found several miles inland in a freshwater Mikna River. The orange material turned gooey and gave off a gaseous odor. They scooped it was but scooped out of the ocean. The substance had no odor and was light to the touch, with a feel of baby oil. With a, a what of baby oil? Feel. Feel. Okay. I thought so you said this fuel. Big, these big, massive orange goop piles. Oh, they were massive? Oh, the piles were massive. Yeah. The, okay. I thought you said- Eggs yeah, were microscopic. Eggs, yes, there we go. They didn't know what they were eggs for a while. Right. They just found this goo everywhere. It, it does say microscopic? Yeah, they are microscopic. Okay. The eggs were also found on at least one of the roofs and in buckets all over the village when collecting rainwater. So it kind of showed up one morning. Like, they came out and there was orange stuff- Mm-hmm. Everywhere, mm-hmm. so they thought they didn't know if it rained or it fell in the sky or whatever. But it was found from this th- several miles inland, all the way to the coast. Okay. Uh, city councilman uh, Francis or Francisca Douglas, a 44 year old native to the village, said the gooey, slimy substance was widely spread in streaks along the river and in the lagoon, within half a mile wide and six miles long. Orangey water was reported as far away as the village of Buckland, which is 150 miles southwest. Okay. So it stained the river. The stuff that came down... It was so orange. It was orange. The river turned orange. Hmm. Uh, Douglas remembers temperatures were colder in her childhood, gradually raising over many years. She wonders if the climate change might have had something to do with this invasive egg, which she estimates was... which she estimated were evident by the village and the volume that was... In excess of thousands of gallons easily, if you added all this stuff. Right, together, yeah. Eventually, though, the eggs appeared to have dissipated. Uh, Mitchell and other villagers expressed concerns that the eggs might affect their village food supply and delicate ecosystem. This is an Alaskan village that applies, or, uh, is heavily dependent on, on the river and the ocean. Yep. And one of, the, uh, one of the people says, it seems they're all gone, but if they're microscopic eggs, who says they're still not in the river? So the village... Is an Inuit, uh, or sorry, an S, or, yeah, an Inuit community located in the tip of an eight-mile barrier reef of Alaska's northwest corner, coast. Its 374 residents live largely off the land, and many are concerned about the efforts of local wildlife and plants from the substance never seen before. This orange tint in the water was reported, you know, from all around the area as well. All reports that the cloud of eggs might have killed the lagoon full of minnows brought new questions over, but the eggs might be toxic. And if the sheer volume of eggs may have deprived the minnows of oxygen, because uh, this, this that makes more sense. Yeah, the lagoon was uh, hundreds of dead fish, thousands of dead fish. Yeah. So are they poisonous, or was it that these eggs are taking up oxygen and they just sucked up all the oxygen? So a, a scientist of NOAA actually got involved, uh, and this is Jeep Rice was her name. 
Like cool. literally like the vehicle. Cool. That's a good name. It was easy to see the cellular structure surrounding the, lip, the lipid droplets and to identify them as animal. They've been determined they were small invertebrate eggs of some kind, although we cannot tell what species. So they were easy to see. Like you can look up all these pictures of these microscopic eggs. They're easy to see that they are eggs of something. Okay. And they are most likely an invertebrate egg species. And we see that because of the way even, you know, fish and stuff like that develop. They still kind of look like, you know, they have embryos. They have pretty advanced embryos. So that's weird. This happened. And this was, I believe, 2006. Hmm. So the star jelly events. Scientists do not uh, know oh, is why. This a, is this a new one? No. Okay. This is just a little smudging piece with this one. Okay. okay. Scientists also don't know why any identified eggs suddenly emerged on the shores of this island. Villagers say they've never seen such a phenomenon before. According to a NOAA spokeswoman, Juliet uh, Spiegel, we'll probably find some clues, but we'll likely never have a definitive answer on this. Hmm. That's because it came and ha- it happened so fast and disappeared so fast. Right. There's only a couple samples actually collected for study. Samples are being sent to the NOAA laboratories in Charleston, South Carolina for further analysis. The Alaskan Department of Environmental Conservation also sent samples Monday to the Institute of Marine Sciences at the University of Alaskan Fairbanks. It's worth noting that there have been anomalies like biological storms in the past, such as the infamous red rain or blood rain that fell in Curlin, India in 2001, or the hunter's example of yet unclassified various purple globs or star jelly that has fallen all over the earth for thousands of years. Mm, Yes. And on uh, the 7th of March, 2012, an article was er, was posted announcing that they had identified the mysterious material, some kind of crustacean eggs. Ah, okay. Is that throwing any uh thing out to you? No. Okay. They just they they think that they were a type of crustacean. Yeah, I mean it doesn't check any boxes of what it could be as crustacean wise egg. I mean I don't know. I mean a lot of a lot of crustaceans have a really bright colored egg mm-hmm. mass. These are microscopic, so that's what's cr- you throwing gotta, me it's, off. It have to be some kind of krill or something like that. Oh. Good Some thought. very small species that breeds in the billions. Billions? Yeah. You sound like a, it's Carl Sagan. Billions. So let's talk about the red rain in uh, Carlin, or India. Carlin? Carlin? Wait, let me, let me comment oh, on that. Oh, you have questions. Okay. Yeah. So uh, my first thought was, duh, it's just fish eggs got sucked up. But then, okay, microscopic. Which are microscopic fish eggs. Yeah, I was thinking like salmon or something. No, yeah, no salmon. It's not salmon, yeah. Uh, that but check. stuff like uh, herring. Yeah. They are scatter spawners. They have tiny eggs. Uh-huh. Uh, there's some big species like the, Asia, the invasive Asian carp that have tiny, tiny. Mi- you can't see their eggs hardly. Mm. Um, they're almost microscopic, and they lay you know millions of them sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then I thought my second thought was okay, it could have got sucked up by a tornado or something, and then uh, or you know whirlwind or you know water spout or something. So I looked up how much uh, how many tornadoes are in Alaska, and it's, <laughs> it's like super rare. They have other. Bad weather, yeah. not tornadoes. Yeah, okay. They're not near any big, like, moving fronts like that. Yeah. So, I don't know. Like, in my head, it's just, it probably is some crustacean or or fish. How'd it like get the, there? Huh? How'd it get there, though? Water spouts. Water spout. Did you look up any water spouts in Alaska? I did not. Because that's a tornado. Yeah, but it's on the water, so I didn't look that up. But water spout. I doubt it was water spout. I didn't want to look it up because I didn't want it to blow my theory. So, it's, cr- I like, you just added krill. Krill eggs, water spout. Boom. Check. Done. Explained. No, I don't know. So I think it's Carla or Carlea, India. Okay. But the red rains in Carlea. Okay. 
rainwater samples have been. You should look at pictures of this. I'll try to remember to put all these on uh, the Facebook post for Monday. All these weird pictures of this stuff. Little teasers. The Carlea Red Rain phenomenon was blood rain events that occurred in the Wayladana district. I have no idea. The, the, so the first one was on Monday, uh, July 15th, 1957. Oh, wow. A color substance that turned yellow eventually. Another one happened on the 25th of July in Sept- and September 23rd in 2001. So this in this area, it, it has these blood rains. A lo- like Not like, they're still not rare. Not a lot, but, it's, but it, it happens. happens in the same relative area. If you had a nickel for every time it happened, you'd have more than one nickel, and that's scary in itself. Mm-hmm. I'm looking it up right now. Uh, yeah, so a heavy downpour of red-colored rain fell sporadically on the southern India state of Karlaya, staining close pink, yellow, green, black. But also those same colors have been reported in the rain. So remember the blood rain we talked about in Indiana? Yes. It's really screams of that where even the pastor's clothes were stained, stained. with blood. Yep, exactly. And you can hear that on our, uh, was that our fungus among us living organic? Carnivorous field? clouds. Carnivorous clouds, that's what it was. Carnivorous clouds. Yes, sorry, yes. Oh, uh, no, we've done a lot of them. Okay. Uh, so colored rain has also been reported in 1896 in the area several times that year. Mm. So it's hundreds of years of goes back. Of, of this occurrence happening. Most recently, though, was June of 2012. Wow. Also November 15th the same year and December 27th. Of the same year. Same year. In, the, in this area. Uh, yeah. So following these light microscopic examination in 2001, it was initially thought that the heavy rain was colored from fallout from a hypothetical meteor burst. Okay. A bunch of iron meteors, like when they burnt, you know, they thinking that it turned like it was rust. Mm-hmm. But the uh, study commissioned by the government of India concluded the rain was colored by airborne spores. Oh, okay. The species has not fully been identified. But they think it's in the Treptophila family, mm, okay. which is a lot of the terrestrial green algaes. Okay. To me, though, we'll talk about that. To me, that's not a very good theory because there's no, they don't know how they would get up there. Well, I mean, remember when we uh, uh, did some, well, not we, <laughs> you did some research about the available uh, or the amount of organic uh, food sources that get pushed up into the upper atmosphere. So this would be one it of them, right? There. Yeah, this, I I can't find out how the algae sp- spread their spores like that to get them in the air like that. Well, ground swells, mountain ranges. I wonder if there's a mountain range near here. No, there is mountains. I don't think you're not understanding what I'm saying, which is fine. Clearly, I don't know how the spores got in the air. Not the wind. How, oh my gosh. Okay, I'm the wind on. pushed them up. The colored rain began to fall on, on the 25th of Jan- <laughs> uh, July in this district. Uh, yellow, green, and black rain has been reported in this area also. Many of these other currents of red rain were reported the following, uh, following 10 days after. So they kept, once the first big one happened, it kept popping up. Okay. Uh, and then, you know, it, the frequency would go down until late September that year. According to locals, the first colored rain was preceded by a loud thunderclap and a giant flash of lightning across the sky. Ooh. And followed by groves of trees shredding and shriveling. And they almost had gray burnt leaves after. That's odd. Yeah. Oh, okay, wait. Gray burnt. Ooh. Like it just just killed the killed the plants. Yeah, I mean. everything that this stuff fell on like they started dying. Hmm, okay. Uh so shriveled leaves and then the disappearance and sudden formation of 
wells were also reported in the same time in the area. Okay. So plants, a bunch of plants would die and just disintegrate, basically. But new water wells would be found. Ooh. I don't know. I hmm. Okay, this is kind of... I don't know what to think of this. Typically only fell over very small areas. No one, uh, no more than a few square mo- kilometers at a time. They were sometimes so localized that normal rain could be falling just a few meters away from the red rain. Dozens of eyewitnesses reported this. Okay. Red rainfall typically lasted less than 20 minutes. Each milliliter of rainwater contained about 9 million red particles. Uh, extrapolating these figures, that total amount of red rain estimated have fallen, that's rains of 500 uh, kilograms, or, one th- or 110,000 pounds of red particles had fallen in that rain event. That's a lot. <laughs> yes, a lot. The brownish red solids separated from the red rain consist that of 90% red round or round red particles and a balance consistent with the debris. The particles in super suspension in the rain uh, were responsible for the color of the rain. So we've isolated what the we've isolated the particles in the rain that were causing it to be red. Okay. Which in the times were really really strongly covered red. A small percentage of the particles were white or light yellow, even bluish gray and green tints sometimes. The particles were found to be 10 or 4 to 10 uh, micrometers across. Basically, they're super tiny. Yes. According, and they were always sort of spheres or ovals. Electronic microscope imaging shows the particles having a depressed center. It's almost like a donut not fully pushed through. Mm, okay. Like a blood cell. That's what I was going to say. They're slightly higher magnification. Some of these particles showed internal structures. Uh-oh. What does this say? Like foreign beings? Mm, maybe. So chemical composition. These guys were weird. Some of the water samples were taken from the Center of Earth Science Studies in India. They were uh, separated in suspended particles. They were filtered. The pH of the water was found to be around 7, which is neutral. The electronic conductivity of the rainwater shows to be absent of any dissolved salts, which is really weird. Sediments in the red particle debris were collected and analyzed by this government body using a combination of iron-clapped plasma mass spectrometers, uh, atomic observation spectrometers, and wet chemistry methods. The major elements that were listed below, the, uh, they analyzed, you know, okay, they were mostly heavy metals, including nickel, magnesium, titanium, chromium, and copper. Okay. Physicist Godfrey Lewis, uh, basically he said, they, they x-rayed this stuff. Analysis of the red solids showed that the particles were composed mostly of carbon and oxygen with traces of silicone and iron, showing them to consist of about 43% carbon, 4% hydrogen, and 1% nitrogen. James Thomas, Division of Natural or Naturalized Sciences at Cornell University, conducted a carbon and nitrogen isotope analysis Scanning an electron microscope with X-rays of microanalysis, the element analyzer, and isotope radiation mass spectrometers. Oh my gosh! Okay, that was a lot of sciencey words. I understood it all, but that was a lot right in a row. So the red particles collapse when dried. Ooh. So they needed fluid to stay. Yep. In, in or shape. They were full of fluid then, right? I mean, it could be that, or they dried out. Right when they dried out, yes. Yeah. But but that's indicating they were filled with some type of fluid. Yeah. Okay. But it could be the rainwater, or it could be their own bodily fluids. Oh, okay. Which suggested that they had been filled with some kind of liquid. Oh. The amino acid in the particle were, <laughs> analyzed, or were analyzed and seven were identified. 
So this thing had seven amino acids, which amino acids are the building blocks of life. Yes. Okay. Uh, okay. I'm not gonna go into all of them, but there are a lot of you know everything from glutamine, phenylalanine, glutamide. I'm not gonna go into them all. Ah, uh, yes. All the results were consistent with. with marine organics or some terrestrial plants. Okay. Quite the. That's two very different things. It's just amino acids. Yeah. I mean, a single spore, like these things are fully organic, whatever they are. I'll try to remember to put all these pictures up there because it's kind of crazy when you look at the internal structure Mm -hmm. from the transmission electron microscope, uh, which showed them uh, detached inner capsules. So they had almost organelles. Oh, that's advanced. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So basically there's all these scientific studies. Nobody's really sure. Uh, Like I said... This, they think it may be in this one orange algae that grows on the side of trees in the area. Uh, but this orange algae also grows on the sides of trees everywhere. And it would be kind of weird that it keeps falling in this one town. Yeah. Uh, there's no reported meteor, uh, meteor, meteorological, I cannot talk today. Meteorological? Events happening or volcanic or desert dust at the same times as the rain events were reported. Okay. So it's not dust. It's not volcanic, and it's not meteor. Okay. All out. Everybody's... Even though... Here's my thing. They never did DNA testing for the algae and this stuff. Oh, okay. Who knows? Who knows? Anything could be possible. Mm -hmm. But this has been happening here for hundreds of years. It's so crazy. Like, the biggest leading one is that the algae is releasing tons of spores and random events, and it's getting pulled up in the wind and coming down in rain. But for that, it would, to me, it'd be very hard for the spores to get up there during a rain event because it's very isolated rain events are having this in the middle of rainstorms. So to me, it has to be getting sucked up during a rain event. I think most spores would be getting knocked down fast. Right. Yeah. Unless, yeah, unless it's just up there lingering uh, already. That's the only other explanation of that before the rain event starts. So the only time they ever did DNA or RNA testing, they couldn't find any. They couldn't find any yeah. of either? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So some people point it to being alien spores because they just didn't have DNA or RNA. They had their own thing, mm. which would make sense. I mean, do things have that that exist on Earth? No. I mean, we either, everything either has DNA or RNA. Okay. You're either viruses or you're uh, us, you know. Or virophages. Virophages, which have DNA. Oh. They steal RNA. Oh. Or they, they have RNA. They steal DNA. Oh, okay. The new biology of the Ran Rains exophiles provide controversial Pantasma, which is one scientist quoted. Mm, Pantasma? What's yeah. that? Basically that life's, like, it's a new form of life. Oh, okay. Oh, that's kind of nuts. Yeah, and there's tons and tons. Basically, scientists have been fighting about this for a long time and never been able to prove what it is, either one way or the other. Okay. So, I have, that's my three I picked for you, these weird rain events. And they're all pretty different and significant. Yeah. But maybe fall on the same thread. Yeah. The meat is, you know, a little bigger than the other two. Both the other two were microscopic, mm-hmm. but caused massive amounts of stuff. So which one do you want to tackle first? I have my, I have, a, do you want to go by order or what? Yeah, let's just go back in order. So what could be happening here? Well. My first one I got for you is government experiments. Can't rule that out. That these, uh, so there's stuff that government, like, it's basically suspending agents. 
that you put stuff like biological contaminants or biological weapons in, and then once it dries, it's released. Like hydrogel? Like hydrogel and stuff like that. Uh, there's a couple like petri dish materials. Uh, it's kind of like that, to where when you drop them out of a plane, you can safely handle them, and then in a day or two once it dries, you know. This is more towards the middle one. Yeah. The alien spores of Alaska, this big gray, the, the orange, the orange goo. goo. Yeah, the microscopic eggs, though, but they said it was eggs. Oh, mm. unless they're... Oh, then now that's scary. Oh, come on. I hope they're not developing these. They never said if they're fertilized or not, right? I mean, they they didn't have no. And the egg thing was just that they definitely were. They looked very much like eggs, like under a microscope. As far as I know, they never did DNA testing. And the basis that it was a crustacean species with similarity to other crustacean eggs. If anything, if it if it if it were eggs, you would have seen at least something like in mass pop up you know if they hatched if they're fertilized at all something would have popped up and it would have been very obvious as to what it was like i was i would assume unless it all got washed out into the ocean before they were born but other than that i mean i don't know unless there's some fish species we don't know of yet that every so often will come up to the surface and shoot billions of eggs into the atmosphere like with a hot, like a whale's blowhole and that's how they spread it that's how they spread their uh, their fertilized eggs is they they uh, basically crap them up into the atmosphere with s- such force that they rain back down and washes out and spreads out into the sea and c- huge surface area. But I also like a krill idea in that middle one too. So uh, about how the krill got up there, space krill. We could be like the guy of the New York Times, guys. It was just probably space krill. It was just probably space krill. Yeah. Now I can write for New York Times. I'm just as credible as a New York Times author. I feel, um, I feel important. What was that noise? I, that wasn't even me. That was outside. I promise. It's not like a cat. If you guys I, heard that, that oh, the mic picked that up. That, we both paused, and then this weird, weird, weird noise just came through. Maybe it's, there's one of the there's something in the sky. Something sky watching us. No, so, yeah, government experiments. I don't know. This is more of the other star jelly events we'll eventually cover. Yeah. That, like, the little girl that was hospitalized over the one, I believe it was, like, Washington or Oregon. Yeah. Where this big jelly fell from the sky. But this star jelly, like, or this government thing, a lot of people say it looks like cells Mm -hmm. that doesn't have anything in them. Okay. So this would be why that we have cellular structures like eggs or blood cells, but they're hollow. They never found DNA, RNA, or nothing like that because they're empty. Hmm. Interesting. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. What would be the experiment then? What was? What's the point? Just seeing the spreadability and stuff like that. Like they did that with, or was it San Francisco when they spread that type of? Was it botulism? It wasn't botulism. It was food poisoning, and it ended up killing a couple people. Hmm. Or it was a UTI. It was a UTI virus. Okay. Ended up killing a couple people. I'm not too, I don't remember for sure. They were seeing its spreadability. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. I think Mythbusters did something similar when uh, they faked a... Uh, remember the episode of Mythbusters where he faked being sick and he had a, the sniffles, but they really just had a, uh, like a little straw up his nose with a, that had a constant drip to it? But that, that fluid glue, uh, glue glowed under a black light. So after, but they didn't tell anyone there. So after the fact, they seen where that fluid spread around everywhere. Remember that episode? 
Yeah. It's kind of cool, but it mm-hmm. showed the spreadability of like your germs and stuff and like how actually far it goes and touches everyone. So where are you going with the RNA on the government? I mean, I, you can't rule out government, but it's the why behind it. I don't understand. I but probably in these cases, I'd say probably not. I don't think so either. Yeah. Especially with this meat shower. Now let's, the basic one, raining algae or some type of fungus. Yeah. Like uh, there's bright orange funguses, there's bright yellow funguses, there's bright red funguses. And we know they all exist bright, in our yeah. atmosphere. They yeah. They all do. Uh, even if it's like stuff coming raining down in the big chunks. Like how many mushrooms taste like meat? A lot. So for the Kentucky meat shower, it could have been some kind of fungus, like a vent falling. Yeah. And it was just, it was literally just meat. Yeah. Like mushroom meat. And who knows like what atmospheric fungus meat could develop to and spores like. can look really like eggs mm-hmm. under the microscope and stuff like that so i mean essentially it's the same thing yeah so what if it's that that they're seeing in alaska and in india and kentucky yeah kentucky would be more of the fleshy body of whatever right whatever mushroom yeah or and it could be fungus it yeah, is it could be some type of reproductive system for that too just something we don't really recognize very often yeah maybe they just it's something that needs to be tasty for Things on the surface to eat, and then go. when they poop it out, it's it's like ready to grow again. I don't know something like you know how mushrooms like poop, mm-hmm. um, or fungus likes poop. So it could be something. Ah, yeah, it could be something like that. Okay, the vulture theory. No, I don't. It's not vulture. <laughs> I like the. I just had to pause there. Like okay, it, but vulture theory still better than New York Times genius theory. Yes. Upper atmospheric organism reproduction. Yes. No, so it's seriously, this is a big one. That These are these upper atmospheric animals we talk about, whether they're uh, animal-based or fungus-based. This may be some type of reproductive system. Uh, the Kentucky meat shower, not so much because the chunks are so large. Mm-hmm. But these, the one in India and the one in Alaska to where they actually found little cells yeah. that look like spores or eggs. That could be their breeding events. Uh, and we've talked about on previous episodes that I think they may breed on the ground or release their babies close to the ground, and they may spend a couple of years before they start going up into the upper atmosphere. Hmm. Before uh, they become enlightened. Yeah, yeah. But both these can, all these happen around rain or storm events. Mm-hmm. And specifically in India, uh, it happened always around storm events. Like mm-hmm. it happened while it was raining. So that may be a good thing to get them to the water. It may be very water-based. Uh, the one in Alaska was also right, like, that night they had a big rainstorm. Right. So if they're coming down to breed and release their eggs for whatever reason, it may be what they do. They may wait for the rain for either cover or, you know, because they still, their animals are fungus, they still be hunted by predators, and breeding events are often associated with predators. Mm-hmm. So using the cover of heavy storms may be the best thing to do. Ah, safe, yes. Yeah. And so they come down, and that's why you don't see them, you know. They come down, they breed, they spawn. And you're saying the egg mats, you know, whether they get into the water and they hatch and they spend their first couple of years in the aquatic systems or, you know, they go, they fly and like the ones in California and in South America, they look like our little manta ray UFOs, but they're predators. Right. Yeah. They're active hunters. And then they switch to being what what we think are these giant filter feeders, which has happened all through nature. Sauropods did it, you know, they're known for doing it where their first seven or eight years, they would eat whatever, whether it was plant or animal. If they could catch it, they would eat it. Mm-hmm. Carcasses, they, you know, they eat bones, so they grow faster. Exactly. And then once they got to be big, you know, they started eating just plant matter. Yeah, because nothing else is going to really eat them. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
that, my friends listening, is what I'd like to say is a great example of speculative biology. Ah, bum, bum, bum. There's a perfect example. Uh, so where are you going with this one? Um, I like it for the um last the second two. two. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Then the first one. Dead atmospheric creatures. Ding, ding, ding. And this happens a lot with the star jelly events, these big chunks of jelly, these big chunks of meat. What happens, in my opinion, is these things die in the upper atmosphere. And sure, they have strong, hard bodies, Mm -hmm. but falling at terminal velocity. And hitting those different layers of atmosphere on your way down. Would surely start strutting the body into small chunks and even hitting the ground. Yeah, especially if it's it's something up their atmosphere. It's not like, probably not the toughest thing in the... I think there's a couple shelled species or hard exoskeleton species. But those, there's the fast ones. Yeah. The slow ones are probably mostly gelatinous, air, you know, gas-filled. Mm-hmm. So as they're falling, they're just shredding into little bits. And then the bits hit the ground, and yeah. they look like meat. So for the—and I think all these could be examples. And the different t- types of meat and stuff could be all, like, organs and stuff like that mm-hmm. as well, where you're getting all your different variants and whatnot. But That's a Kentucky meat shower. Yeah. But for the Alaska one, I think it could be an example of it, too, that where you just find what well, they're cells, not eggs, mm. actual cells of the creature, and then yeah. it's flesh with these big stringy goo mats. Yeah. Because it's already starting to dissolve. Yeah. Anybody that's ever been around jellyfish and similar creatures, you know, you grab them. And they would just start dissolving instantly. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, there's some tougher jellyfish species that are a little more, uh, but we had them in our nets in Florida, and like literally, they just fall through the net and be in little squares. Yeah, because they Oops. just slipped through. Oopsies. Yeah. So, and then the the uh, India one could literally be blood from these creatures or vital fluids. Right. Yeah. Re- whether it's reproductive or excreting stuff like after feeding. Yeah. Or you know, just literally them getting eaten mm-hmm. and blood falling down yeah what if it's like a feeding event, like area i don't know that's a and it's poop and it's poop yeah where's all the poop go india and so i think these these meat events could be and that's why nobody could identify the meat yeah because it's always different or what oh no for the kentucky meat shower because oh, 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 okay. nobody's ever eaten it well not since back then Oh, no, uh, he's was, ever eaten the sky jelly. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Got you. Got no, you. so that they... Like, that oh, they, it tastes like this, tastes like that, yeah. tastes a little bit like this, and a little bit like that. Yeah, because it's a sky jelly. It's unique. It could be one of the manta rays. Or, yeah, anything. I just like that term the best. Sky jelly. Yeah. So what are you going with on these? Um, I do think, especially the meat shower one, I do think it is an upper atmosphere creature. It just... I think, it, I, think, I think a lot of this falls in the upper atmosphere category. And I kind of picked an easy episode for us to do because I'm tired. We had a long weekend at Crypticon. <laughs> the only other option I could think of that you didn't mention is whatever is abducting cows and things like that and slice, surgically slicing them. If, if they're – this is maybe what sometimes they do instead of putting them back down on the ground. They just – Well, how many of the cows – Eject. How, how many of the cattle stuff have we heard where they drop them? Oh, yeah. Like all these people are like, no, the cow was dropped and bounced. Yes, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, it could be that that – these atmospheric creatures or aliens or the Nephilim or whoever you want to blame. Yeah. We're taking cattle and like, all right, I'm done with this. And, and they just let go. Dump the, like, uh, like, like the airplanes where they dump the poo. Uh, well, I was thinking more like hawks and eagles and stuff like that will carry carcasses or prey. Yeah. And even vultures will carry bones way high up mm-hmm. and just drop them. Right. Yep. yep. Bust them up. Mm-hmm. Yes. Actual biology. Mm-hmm. It fits the M.O. So but, this could be these could literally be cows and sheep and pigs and bears. Yeah. And one of these big things was 
collecting and then drop them all at once to pick up the pieces. Yeah. Uh, good thing. Not, it, and people. Notice how none of them said it tasted like, just like elephant. So that's probably a little bit too big for these things to pick up. No, they probably could. <laughs> oh, dang it. Well, they, come on. Elephant seal. I mean. Nothing can pick up an elephant seal. Nothing. Okay. So, ah, killer whale. No, it couldn't do it. It tried. couldn't do it. Broke its bristles. A killer whale? Or Wait, it's broke its teeth. There okay. you go. Yeah. Anything else to add? No, this is interesting. I mean, it, it just shines a little light more on the uh, uh, organic and upper atmosphere creatures um, that are above our heads that we there are results. There is life above us. So, uh, you know, keep an eye out in the skies. There's not enough of us watching the skies anymore. You know, get your sometimes take a little time, get your head out of your phone and get your eyes up in the sky and just take a look, see what you see. You never know what you're going to get. All right. I have been the great and powerful mystery. And I've been J-Clone 816. You touched the mic way too much. I know, but I had to set up to see what my number was. All right, guys, we'll catch you next week with more exciting stuff. Bye. Thank you for listening to Crips of the Corn podcast. Please share with a friend you think would like us. It's the best way to help our show grow. Leave a comment, rate us, a five-star review. And remember, there is always extra content on Patreon slash CripsOfTheCorn.com. And don't forget, stay magical. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.